Coming up on Philosophy Talks, philosophy for children. How do children think of the mind? Your mind is that little voice inside of your head that tells you what to do and what not to do. Do children think the mind is just the brain? I think the brain has something that the mind doesn't do and the mind has something that the brain doesn't do. Do children know the difference between pleasure and happiness? You could be happy inside and then you could be sad all the way outside. If a philosopher is talking to fourth graders and no one is listening, has he really said anything? There's questioning everything anyway. Our guest is Jana Moore-Lone from the Northwest Center for Philosophy for Children. Whether we're going to engage them in thinking together about it or not is really the issue. Philosophy for and with children. Recorded in front of a live audience of fourth grade philosophers at the University of Washington in Seattle. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And <laughs> I'm Ken Taylor. This is a special edition of the program, coming to you from the Northwest Center for Philosophy for Children at the University of Washington in Seattle. Our thinking originates at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, everyone. Our topic today, appropriate to our venue, is philosophy for children. Can you can learn a lot from children. Mostly, you can learn how little patience you have. Oh, John, come on. We've got an audience full of children here. Don't be such a grouch. We're here with a bunch of delightful children at a center where young people do philosophy. I know, I, I know that we're going to learn a lot from them. Didn't John Locke say that our mind is a blank slate when we were born? It seems like it would take years of writing profound truths on that blank slate before anything of philosophical interest would show up. Oh, John, you're looking at things exactly the wrong way. Children have a natural curiosity, a natural curiosity that leads them naturally to ask and think about philosophical issues. You know, it's all the writing that we adults do on that blank slate that, that gets in their way, and by the time they get to us in college, we have to work hard to rekindle what's really a natural instinct, a natural interest. We have, to, we have to get them back to the wisdom that they had when they were fourth graders, like these kids here. Okay, Mr. Optimistic, give me an example of this alleged natural curiosity. Well, there's this philosopher Garrett Matthews. He thinks a lot about children and philosophy. He's got a good example. Well, so he, uh, he tells this uh, situation of young Tommy. He's six years old, so even younger than uh, these students in our audience. He sa Tom, uh, Tommy says to his papa, Papa, how can we be sure that, there, that everything is not a dream? How can we be sure of that? His father thinks a while, and he admits, gosh, Tommy... I have no idea. Well, Tommy has an answer. He says, well, Dad, I don't think that everything's a dream because in a dream, people wouldn't go around asking, is this a dream? So right there, the kid not only asked Descartes' famous question, could this all be a dream, but he gives an answer to, the, to that question. Yeah, and, and you know, actually, it's a better, better answer than Descartes managed to come up with. Uh, that's pretty impressive. But, you know, should we really encourage this predilection for philosophy in, in children? I mean, 
shouldn't kids this age be kept busy cleaning their room and learning to obey and spell correctly? Why, why give them philosophy? Yeah, that's a good question. I wonder what these kids would think. Should they, <laughs> would they be better off cleaning their rooms than doing philosophy in class? I don't think would, Hannah thinks so. <laughs> no, no, you know what? I, I don't think so myself. <laughs> I think it's a great thing, and I know our guest, uh, Jana Morlone, who's uh, the founder and director of this lovely center, I know she thinks that children develop a philosophical a- a self at a about age five, just as they develop a social self, a moral self, an intellectual self, and other facets of their personality. So it starts really young, and we ought to encourage that. Well, you know, that's kind of an interesting idea. I guess when, when my kids were that age, and now when my grandkids were that age, I used to pose all kinds of philosophical questions for them. You know, how can you get across a room at first you have to go halfway and halfway to halfway and halfway to halfway to halfway to halfway to halfway. Sounds like you'll never get there. Yeah, that's, that's the point. And then, you know, they would say, well, I guess if you can't get across a room, I can't very well empty the garbage, can <laughs> yeah, I? Yeah, right. Uh, so I didn't realize I was doing something important like developing their little philosophical selves. <laughs> uh, I just was making them laugh. Yeah. They found it funny to hear their father ask such weird questions. So come to think of it, they still do. Yeah, right, right. Well, in a moment, we're going to bring Jana Morlone out to join us so we can learn more about the philosophical selves of children. Then we'll turn to our live audience of beginning young philosophers, fourth grade philosophers, here in Seattle to join the conversation too. But first, our roving philosophical reporter, Angela Kilduff, talks to some university students who are studying philosophy for children. She files this report. Karen Emmerman has wanted to be a college professor since high school. She's now a doctoral student at the University of Washington. And when she watched Jana Morlone teach philosophy to fourth graders, what she saw really surprised her. I'm just amazed at how similar the conversations are when you're talking to children who have not read the highly theoretical academic articles versus speaking with undergraduates who have. I thought there would be a radical difference in the way that issues are talked about, and there's actually very little difference at all. The experience even led her to consider working with younger students. The fourth graders that Jana was teaching the other day pick up on exactly the same kinds of issues. They ask very similar kinds of questions, like the exactly relevant, some not so relevant, which also happens at the undergrad level. and. They're just right right there and ready to talk about it in this way, even though there's been no machinery in place for talking about it. And that's been really striking. I asked Emmerman what questions she would use to teach philosophy to children. Well, I actually think this question of justice is really effective because they're very interested in matters of justice. So even young kids, who gets that toy and why do they get that toy? And how come you get to eat a larger cookie than I do? And these sorts of things. So they're interested. It affects their experience of their day-to-day life. And so I think they want to pick up on it and talk about it a little bit, and it, and it helps them manage in the world. Jana Morlone gave the same assignment to her undergraduate students. After writing an essay about it, they shared their answers with the class. Um, the question that I decided on is, what is death? And not only, like, what is death, but what happens after you die? Like, sure, you're, um, the body's still there, but what happens to, like, the mind and the soul? And it's important because no matter what, children will encounter death, whether it's, like, a friend, family, a pet or a plant, and I think developing um, a sense of what death is at an early age, they can cope with it better. What makes something right or wrong? And the reason why I thought that was a really interesting or important thing to discuss is because for a lot of our lives, a lot of the information that we're told, we just take verbatim and you know accept that as the absolute truth. And for me, growing up, you know, I was raised Catholic, and 
I began to question that a lot when I turned about nine or ten actually and really started asking myself why I believe certain things you know where did this knowledge come from who told it who you know originated it is it valid is it true and so I think it's really important for you know kids to really question where their knowledge comes from. I wanted to pose a question to mostly 12 to 14 year olds because that's that's the age at which well at least for me and for a lot of people um, in America uh, kids are getting a cell phone or have access to a computer of some kind um, and the question that I wanted to ask was uh, what are we losing when we adapt this new form of communication? In other words, what is bad about a text message or, a, or an email? Um, and, and I think that it's stripping away the authenticity from human relationships. These are big issues, just like the topics Jana Morlone has discussed with her fourth graders. Karen Emmerman says these conversations have astounding potential. It'll change the way they think forever, hopefully. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Angela Kilduff. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.